Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning. How's everyone this morning? It is, uh, it's, it's, it's never great to run out of communion, but it's also amazing that we ran out of communion. Uh, it's so incredible to see so many people here. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I've uh, been part of Life Changes Church for almost 10 years now. Um, part of the leadership team, based mainly at Tableview. Uh, I do get the privilege, though, of coming to see the amazing people of Milneton every now and then. And I do enjoy preaching here because there's so much space for me. I get to walk. Uh, they've now boxed us in at Tableview. You can only kind of walk maybe one meter either side, uh, but that's fine. I hope you guys are prepared to maybe deliver a baby. I mean, I don't know, hey? We may, it may just arrive, you never know. Um, yeah, so it's fine. We, we'll help. We'll help. It's all good. Um, yeah, thankfully, the it's, many clinics close by because, <coughs> yeah, you don't want that, eh? Not, don't want that. So, um, this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the book of Luke in the New Testament, uh, chapter 5. We are going to read the first 11 verses. Um, the title of my preach this morning is Jesus is in your boat. Uh, and unfortunately, our fisherman, our resident fisherman is not here this morning. Uh, maybe he's on his boat, uh, but Jesus is in his boat, so it's good. Um, so if you can turn with me, we're going to read. The, the, the scriptures will be up on the screen, uh, so you can also follow there. I am uh, reading from the, the NLT, the New Living Translation, which is also Gabriel's uh, favorite uh, version, so uh, you should be familiar with the way it's written. So let's go. So one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there, which is quite clever, actually. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Simon responds, Master, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down Again, and this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please forgive me, I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that had been caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Zebedee, I do enjoy that name, Zebedee. Um, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this amazing morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather in community. Thank you, Lord, that we get to sing your praises, that we get to honor the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we also get to read your word and listen to your word this morning, Lord God. Uh, I pray, Lord, that your word 
will fall on receptive ears and hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've got a, a, couple, of, um, a couple of slides. I'm going to get back to this text, but I, I'm going to create some context for you this morning. And before we get into the, the actual preach this morning, I, I like to share with people how I read the Bible. I like to share with people how I kind of go about engaging with God in the Bible. Uh, and I, I trust that it works for some people, that it, it does encourage some people, because I know sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we're in the Word of God and it just it doesn't always make sense and it's a bit challenging. So I'm a very visual guy, um, which is uh, which is good, mostly. Uh, thankfully, I got Jesus on my side. When I didn't have him on my side, being a visual guy wasn't the best thing in the world. Uh, but now I've got him, and we're good to go. So I, this is how I read the Bible. So I read this portion of Scripture, and suddenly my head starts wondering. I want to know what, what did it look like? What was this place? Where were they at? What, was the, what did the boat look like? Uh, where was this? So I do those kind of things. So uh, thankfully, you know, you, there's something called Google, and you can actually find out quite a lot about these things. So you can put up the first slide. Uh, so I like to know things like this. So what did the boat look like that, that Jesus got into, that the, the fisherman knew? So this is actually, I think it's on, on the shore of Galilee at the moment. It's kind of like a, a touristy thing. Um, but this is like sort of a recreation of what the boats at that time looked like. Um, so I like it. I'm like, okay, so I mean, it's not, it's not massive, but it's not a tiny little thing. Uh, so uh, Jesus would have got into that. Uh, and um, the fishermen also used those. There were sailboats in the Sea of Galilee, which, by the way, is actually a lake. For those of you who are not great at I realize a lot of people are not that good with geography. Um, my wife being one of them. Um, and, <clears throat> but I studied geology of all things, so I quite like geography, so I like to know these kind of things. So, so that's, what, that's what the boat would look like. Uh, you can move on to the next one. I like to know where. So where, where did this take place? Um, so um, it, it, you're struggling. We need to work on our screen resolution. That's all good. Um, so this is actually a Google map that I took yesterday. I went and searched for it yesterday. It's on Google Maps. So you can see the pin right up at the top there uh, where it, says, it actually says Tiberias. Uh, Galilee is also known as the, the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, so just to the left of that pin, that Google pin, which most of you are familiar with, uh, is actually kind of the spot where this piece of uh, text, where this, where this story takes place. Um, and if you hop onto the next slide, there we go. So this is actually a photo. This is actually from, what's it called? Mount Arbel, okay, which is, uh, so looking down onto the lake, onto the Sea of Galilee. So kind of just to the left there, that's, that's where the story takes place. Capernaum is actually just around the corner there. Uh, and then uh, you can't really see it there, but in, at the top of the picture is actually where uh, the river uh, Jordan kind of flows into uh, the Sea of Galilee. So I like to see these things. I like, so this is how I read the Bible and how I, uh, I kind of create these things in my mind. And so it's just for interest's sake, um, which is cool. So this piece of scripture that we've just read is actually quite a well-known piece of scripture. And its primary theme, the essence of the scripture, is really about Jesus calling his first disciples and him really actually showing them what the future looked like, that actually we're no longer going to be fishermen, that they were going to be fishers of men. Yeah, so that, that's the underlying theme of this piece of scripture. I'm not preaching that this morning. So some of you are going, well then, what on earth are you going to preach about, buddy? Because uh, that, that's really it. Um, this morning, I'm preaching about work. I'm preaching about your job, Mr. Actuary. Yeah? I'm preaching about the thing that you get up to do every single morning. 
You can put up that next slide, Sarah. Thank you. I hope, yeah, you can see it. I also like, I'm, I'm probably, you're going to think I'm such a nerd, but I like uh, dictionary.com and I like synonyms.com. So there's this word vocation. Are you familiar with the word vocation? Yeah, so uh, mostly translated, it's your occupation, it's your career, it's that kind of thing. But there are these amazing synonyms for the word vocation. And I love some of these things. It talks about your calling. Um, so I actually want to harp on the fact that what I want to talk about this morning is not, because some of you have really almost switched off. I'm not talking about the fact that you maybe have a paying job. Yeah, maybe you've retired. Maybe you're in a season where you're at home and you're looking after the home and the kids. Um, you still have a vocation. That's why I haven't used the word necessarily used the word job. Okay, but these are some of the synonyms. I love some of the words like the game. <laughs> I like the mission, uh, the pursuit. I love those, those words. Because as hopefully as we work through it this morning, you'll start to get a sense for what God has intentioned for us as a people in terms of our work. So if you can pop onto the next screen. Okay, I'm hoping you can see this. It's not too bad. So the challenge that we are faced with, and this is something that I've been working through over the last little while and that God has really challenged me with, and I'm going to share some of the stories with you, is we have X amount of time. So let's assume that we get to, so you can't really see the, the old guy on the right-hand side there because of the light. But in this particular graphic, it's assuming we live for 78 years, okay? Which is okay, I suppose. Most of us maybe want to live a bit longer than that. But let's say 78 years. It's probably longer than an average um, and certainly longer than the average lifespan in Africa. But 78 years. You spend 28 years sleeping. Yeah? yeah. Uh, where the, the Phillipses aren't here right now. Right now, they don't agree with that. They don't agree that you spend all that time sleeping. But you do. And you will. And for those of you who are not getting that much sleep, you'll catch up with it. It's fine. Yeah, you kind of go through these phases of life where you spend a lot more time sleeping. But you spend about a third of your life actually sleeping. The next biggest chunk of time is working. And for some of you, right now, in this moment, you find that depressing. And I'm hoping that we're going to actually move past that by the end of our talking this morning. I quite chuckled at the, sec at the third biggest chunk, which is, they, which is my social network. So it used to just be TV, by the way. If you look at some of these old graphics, they used to have TV. Um, but now TV is lumped with video games and social networks, uh, which is a little sad. For the observance of you, some of you are having a bit of a chuckle at the image for grooming. Yes, uh, Duran would have spotted that already. Um, and if you know some people, you would understand that definitely you do spend that much time grooming. Um, there's, and so some of these things are really interesting. Um, we spend quite a lot of chunk, big chunk of our time shopping. Unfortunately, that's not fun shopping. That's kind of like, oh, I've got to do the grocery kind of shopping. Uh, and it's kind of like, I've only got this much money to spend, so you know, I've got to kind of work it out quite cleverly. It's not the kind of where you can just go and splash out. I wish I could spend two and a half years just shopping. <clears throat> It'd be great. But what I'm trying to get at here, and actually my argument is at the moment that actually I think more time is actually spent considering work, considering your job. Because they've spoken about commuting, and actually commuting is related to your job. You will never commute if you weren't actually going somewhere to work. So commuting and working need to be lumped together for me. 
And then they've got education there. And as far as I'm, education is related to your vocation. Okay, so ultimately you're going to be doing something with your life. Your education kind of takes you to that place. And as you kind of progress through your career, hopefully you'll be doing some more studying and growing in that space. So there are many other things that we take into consideration. Some of us spend a whole whack of that sleeping time dreaming about work. Now, who of you had those nightmares where you kind of wake up in a cold sweat because you've forgotten to do something? I still dream about exams. Actually, I had one very recently uh, where I had not studied, uh, and I woke up in a cold sweat. I'm like, oh, that was years ago. Why am I still stressing out about that? Uh, but it happens. So the reality is that a huge chunk of our time, a hu our living, waking hours is spent working. The challenge is most of us can't stand it. Most of us find it depressing. Most of us think, if only I could get through this thing so I could spend a little bit of time living. See, most of us work to live. We're actually, if we go to the theology of work and we start understanding what God created us to be, we actually begin to realize that actually God created us to live to work. We're meant to be living to work, not working to live. Because if we work to live, it becomes a, dep a depressing state of affairs because there's a very, very small chunk of our time where we would actually just be able to live. And often when we have that mindset, that view on work, the problem then is that I've got not, I don't have enough money. Yeah? Because I've kinda, I'm focusing on the product, I'm focusing on the outcome of work, which is the money that I earn, and then I don't actually have enough to live the way I want to live. So I believe that God is, he's certainly taking me through this process of giving me a revelation, a correct theology, a correct thinking on work. There are many things that we could talk about work, and I believe that in this space we should actually be, it should be a series that we should preach on because there's so much in it. This morning, I'm just going to touch on a couple of things around the theology of work very, very quickly because I actually want to focus this morning about what you do, because what you do is important. We've got to a point, I think, in society and even in the church where it's all about who you are. And please do not hear what I'm not saying. Who you are is vitally important because it speaks to your character and who you are in God. But I believe what you do is just as important. You'll get, hopefully, hopefully it'll make sense by the end. I know some of you right now are questioning me. So let's look at a couple of the items around the theology of work. Because I've often asked this question, is God interested in what I do? Is he interested in my vocation? And it's taken me a long time to be able to answer that question. And I'm hoping this morning that if you're asking the same question, that hopefully you're going to get some answers a lot sooner than I did. I've indicated that, that line, and I want you to take that away this morning, that I believe God created us to live to work, not work to live. You see, in the beginning, so if you go right to the beginning, God creates. So the very first scriptures are about God doing something. It's about God working. God begins to create he is the primal creator. He creates out of nothing. And as I was reading that this weekend, 
I was, uh, was kind of like, you know, I would love to be able to do that. I mean, how many of us would just love, God just says, let there be light. This is how God works. It says, let there be light, and there is light. How many of us would, let there be a thousand new customers this month, paying customers. I mean, we would love that, wouldn't we? Just like, let, there, let it be, Lord. Yeah? But unfortunately, it doesn't quite work out that way. The beauty, though, is this. God begins to create. He then creates man, and he creates man, I believe, for two reasons. One is for relationship, which is the, that's the, that's the biggie. That's about who you are in God. That's about your character. That's about understanding who you are and your identity in him. He creates you for relationship. The very next thing he does is he gives man something to do. Yeah? He gives us work. The challenge is, in the beginning, it's glorious. It is, I mean, can you just imagine? You're literally, there's Adam walking through the garden with God, and, and Adam's just, he's got, he's just naming things, and he's just, it's just, it's easy. Yeah? Work is just this incredible joy, and he's just creating and doing things because God has given him that mandate. But then, obviously, something goes horribly wrong, and Adam and Eve sin. And that's where things become distorted. That's where we get, start getting the wrong view and the wrong understanding of various things like work. You see, what ends up happening is that certain things God says to Adam and Eve, there are repercussions for your actions. He says to Eve that childbirth is no longer going to be a walk in the park. See, what happens is that God doesn't curse the child. He doesn't curse children. He curses childbirth. Yeah? And if you look at what he does with Adam, he says, actually, that from now on, you're going to toil for your food. It is not going to be easy. You're not going to be living in this beautiful, lush garden. Uh, you're actually going that way. You're going out there where it's tough, yeah? where the ground is hard, and you're going to toil, and that work is going to be difficult. The problem is, though, that we now focus on that. And as with all things in God, we now live in this tension. We live in this tension that actually God has given us something amazing, something glorious called work to create, but at the same time, He has made it difficult. And so we live in this incredible tension of work. Just a little side note uh, for the single guys. Uh, what's interesting right in the beginning is uh, God creates man and he gives man work and then he gives man a partner. Just saying. Work came first, <laughs> then the lady. Just putting it out there. So, yeah. Interesting order of events. <laughs> yeah, all the ladies going, yes, yes, work hard before you uh, come knocking. Uh, The Bible, for those of us who have become familiar with the Bible, you will notice that the Bible mentions occupations thousands of times. When the Bible introduces a character in the, in the storyline, it never just says a person or the person's name. It will describe what the person did, what they did for a living, from right from the beginning right until the end. And there's this myriad of occupations, of vocations in the Bible. I don't believe that's there 
just some net. It's there for a reason. God is interested in what you do because he's created you to create. We don't necessarily end up doing things just because. Yeah? Our thinking, our mindset, especially in, 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 in society, is that I have to work because I've got to earn a living. Whereas God has said, no, no, I've given you something. I'm, giving, I'm handing over the creation baton to you. So I've got three points this morning. Don't worry, my points are shorter than my introduction. So don't stress. And we're going back to the text. My first point this morning is that Jesus is in your boat. Just happens to be the title of the sermon as well. So if we go back to that scripture of Luke 5, the boat represents your business. It represents your work. So what happens is, Jesus is on the shore and he's preaching and there's a whole lot of people coming forward. I remember when I first read the scripture, I just thought it was like, it's like, whoa, it's quite clever because maybe he ran out of space on the shoreline, so he got into a boat and kind of went out a little bit further. And the more I kind of engage with the scripture, maybe Jesus did that because of that reason, but actually he was on another mission. Yes, he was on the mission to call his first disciples and to teach them there and then about fishing for men. But I also believe there's something else to this. Jesus gets into the boat. Peter, Simon Peter, is a fisherman. The boat represents his business. Jesus cares about his business. He gets into the boat. What am I telling you this morning? That wherever you're at in terms of your life, your work, your vocation, the thing that it is that you do, Jesus is already there. Because he's given it to you. You don't have to start seeking him and where are you in this Jesus? He is there. So what happens in this story, Jesus gets into the boat. He doesn't ask to get into the boat. He gets in. After he gets into the boat, we get to point number two. He then begins to engage with Peter. Jesus doesn't ask to get into the boat. He's in. Once he's in the boat, he begins to ask Peter some questions. The first question he asks, he says, will you push me out a little way? A very simple request. <clears throat> will you push me out a little way? Peter obliges. Peter responds. And he pushes him out. Once he's done that and he's continued to preach and he's finished with his teaching, he then brings in the big request. So he's finished teaching and then he says to Peter, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Peter's response, I think, is amazing. And I love scriptures and stories that involve Simon Peter because he's very relatable most of us will be able to relate to Simon Peter um, because he's, he's one of those guys that kind of speaks what he thinks. He's one of those guys who probably speaks before he thinks, <clears throat> which is cool. That's most of us. I read a lot into his response. I kind of feel that his response is a, is a mixture of things. It's a, he calls Jesus master, but I also hear kind of a, 
almost an undertone of the following. Jesus is saying, push the boat out and go drop your nets again and catch some fish. Or fish, as you would say. I think you say fish in Durban? <coughs> yeah. He's like, dude, I'm the fisherman. You're a carpenter. Yeah, Jesus just spent 30 years of his life honing his carpentry skills. And evidently you can speak a little bit too because you kind of got this crowd and you spoke quite well. Um, that's cool, but look, I'm the fisherman. His response is, we worked hard all of last night and now you're telling me, go do it again. I relate to that. Because there's many times where I kind of feel that Jesus wants to engage with me in what I do. And I, for those of you who don't know, I'm involved in the IT industry. And I kind of almost feel like, you know, Jesus, there weren't even computers in your day. It's like, <clears throat> I'll engage you on the churchy things. I'll engage you on the things that, you know, like, I need to be a better person. I need to be a better husband, a better dad. That's where I'll engage Jesus. You know that stuff really well. I need you there in this space. This is my space. Yeah? I've studied to do this. I've worked many years to do this. I've got the experience. I got this thing. I will develop the strategies and uh, I'll say thanks, hopefully, if things go well. That was Peter's initial thinking. I'm the fisherman. You're the carpenter. I know what I'm doing. But Peter's next response is a response that I pray we all bring into our lives as we begin to engage Jesus, especially in this place of work. And it's these amazing words. Even though I kind of feel this way and I'm not that happy with this, he says the following, but if you say so. See, Jesus is not scared of your argument. He's not scared of your doubt. He's not scared of the fact that you don't necessarily believe this. You're not, he's not scared of the fact that you're not quite agreeing with this he's okay with that but when we begin to bring those words in but if you say so i will obey jesus can engage so peter says i'll let the nets down again <laughs> i want to encourage us this morning god knows more about your business, about your work, about your vocation than you will ever know. Derek, you think you know big data, buddy. God knows big data better than anyone. He knows more than you will ever know, and he wants to engage you in what you are doing because he cares about what you do. Because he gave it to you in the first place. So as we begin to engage him, he begins to give us strategy. Strategy might be for your business. It might be for your actual career. Yeah, You may need to be studying a certain thing. You, maybe you've been working for a number of years and God's actually saying, actually, it's time for a change. I'm not necessarily advocating that right now, but I'm, there's, there, there are so many ways in which God wants this thing to move. But when we do it in our own steam, we typically go down the wrong path. He knows he has the best strategy for what you do. What stands out for me in this text is the following. Peter says this. He says, 
Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. He starts out by saying, we worked hard all, all of last night. Then he says, I'll let the nets down again. This work thing that God has called you to, this work thing that he has given you as a gift, is a collective thing. None of us can work in isolation. None of us. Just like church, church can't be done in isolation. You can't do it on your own. He's called us to do it with a whole lot of different people. Very different to ourselves. No one is like Duran. No one. He's very, very unique. But yet, God has called us into community with Duran. It's exactly the same as your vocation, the thing that you do. You cannot do it on your own. Even if you're a freelancer or a contractor and you get to spend a whole lot of time on your own, eventually you're going to need a customer. Eventually you're going to need a partner, as in a, some kind of business partner, maybe alongside or someone that you need to work with from another company. It's impossible to do it on your own, no matter what you are doing. I believe that God wants to bless us in our place of work, but often we want to keep it for ourselves. You see, God gives Peter an instruction. He says, go let your nets down. Peter says, we did this all night, but I'll do it again. Sometimes we need to take the risk because God is communicating with us and we need to do something on our own. But ultimately, it's for the collective, not for ourselves. See, what ends up happening is the following. He lets the nets down and he catches more fish than he can possibly handle. The scripture says that his nets begin to break and he cries, he shouts for help. His partners come in the other boat and they help him get the fish out. Had he not done that, had he, had he remained himself and said, I've got this thing, he would have lost everything. If they had not come to help him and he had tried to take all the glory for himself, what God was blessing him with would have been lost. How often do we do that in our life of work where we do something, we see this is going to work out well, but I actually would like the glory for myself and we'll get some, we'll get some acclaim later on and actually this thing ends up fizzling out. Because actually it was intended, God intended this blessing to be for the collective. You will be blessed in it. You will, he will bless you a hundredfold, but it's for the collective. I need to understand that it's not for my glory, it's for his, and that happens in the collective. I hope that makes sense. God wants to bless you in your work. He wants to bless you in your career. He wants to bless you in the thing it is that you do, but it's not just for you. It's for his glory and for the benefit of others. See, if we go to point number three, point number three is, are you amazed? Are you amazed by what Jesus is doing in your boat? I realize that there is something 
in living a life of gratitude and amazement of what God is doing. Even when I haven't even been involved. Even when God chooses to use others in my place of work that don't even know him. <laughs> but I recognize that's the, his hand. I recognize that he is blessing. Are we amazed by what he is doing? Are we amazed by the very fact that he's blessed us and gifted us with work? Peter falls to his knees. When this, the, the verse goes like this. He falls to his knees, for he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. So it's not just Peter. Yes, Jesus engaged only with Peter. He, told, he gave Peter the instruction. He gave Peter the strategy. He gave Peter the idea. But look what ends up happening is that the collective are absolutely awestruck by what has happened. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. God is calling us to a life of amazement of what he is doing. And as we begin to work this thing out, and as we begin to have this revelation of the gift of work, and that this is directly from God, and as we begin to engage him in this space, others around us begin to get it too. There, are, there is so much more to speak about in this space because God also wants to use our place of work. There's the, there's the entire theme here of Jesus using Peter's boat as a ministry tool. I'm not even going to talk about that this morning. God cares about what you do because he gave it to you in the first place. Before I land, I just want to share with you a little bit. I have um, I've been in the IT industry for many years, and it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride, to be honest. Um, and I suppose, you know, the majority of you that have that have been involved, well, not even not even in work, but you've been alive for a certain period of time, you could possibly look back and say that that thing that you do, the thing that gets you up in the morning that it's possibly been a roller coaster ride. There's been times of highs and there's been times of lows. And we look at this thing, we realize that some of those lows were possibly out of our hands. Um, I, I've been retrenched a couple of times in my career. There's not much I could do about that. But God had me on a journey through that process of trusting him, of building character, of realizing that I need to lean in here on him and in him. But then I also look back and realize that I made decisions in my own ability, that actually I was not recognizing that Jesus was in my boat and I was not engaging him. I joined uh, the company I'm with now uh, about four years ago uh, and soon after joining they announced that we're going to be bought out by this much bigger company uh, which comes with its pros and cons. But over the last couple of years it's been turmoil when I look at it with human eyes because um, there have been many people who, who just couldn't do it anymore and have left. Uh, and the, our business is, is nationwide. It's also uh, around the world. And our small business in Cape Town was about 50 people when we first arrived in this new business. And, and we're now down to about 10 because people have left. Yeah? 
And so my first reaction was, well, yo, I've got to get out of here. This is not good. You know, when I look at it with human eyes, it's like, this is, it's the end. I've got I to go. Um, and around about that time, towards the end of last year, an, an offer arrives or an interest by another company. And I'm like, I'm putting these things together. I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord. Uh, and I start going through a process uh, of interviewing with them. And we get into the new year. And I, for a moment, recognize that Jesus is in my boat and I begin to engage with him. And I realize in that moment that actually I'm not meant to go anywhere. That in the natural, this does look chaotic and it does look a bit scary, but actually I'm meant to stay where exactly where I am. And so I, um, I tell that company who'd come, I say, thank you very much for the interest, but actually uh, I'm going to decline. Um, and... I actually went to the leaders in my business and I said, guys, I'm actually, I, because they were, they were concerned that we were all just going to go, and I, I went to them and said, listen, I'm going to stay. I believe we've got, there's opportunity here, um, and actually, I, I'm in. I'm going to stay. And, and a couple of days later, um, they came back to me and said, we'd love to give you an increase in your salary because we believe that you're the future of our business and you're committed, and so they give me an increase in my salary that was ridiculous. That I, I wouldn't, if they'd asked me how much do you want as an increase, I wouldn't even given them that, that amount. So I, all I'm saying is, God is in this thing. He's asking us to engage. He cares, of course he cares about who you are. He cares about your character. He cares about your identity in him but he also cares about what you do. And he wants us to rediscover the joy of work because that's what it's meant to be. We're meant to live to work, not work to live. I'm going to read this last piece as we land. Um, and it's, uh, I suppose it's like a poem. There's a couple of words that rhyme, I think. It's, um, it's by John Piper, and he writes the following. So cool. It says, work is a glorious thing. If you are starting to grow lazy, I summon you back to joy. I love that. Not I summon you back to work harder. No, I summon you back to joy. God made us to work. He formed our minds to think and our hands to make. He gave us strength, little or great, to be about the business of altering the way things are. That is what work is. Seeing the world thinking of how it could be better, and doing something. From the writing of a note to the building of a boat, from the sewing of what you wear to the praying of a prayer, come leave off sloth and idleness, become what you were made to be, work. I feel the following as we close this morning, that to be completely fulfilled in God, we need to find fulfillment in what we do, because he gave it to us in the first place. He handed the baton of creation to us. He created out of nothing. He then gave us that and said, make something of it. Rule and reign. I trust this morning that you've got the heart of what I want to preach this morning. I trust this morning that you get the revelation that God cares about what you do, that he is in your boat 
and he's waiting for you to engage. He is in it. He's waiting for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the ability to create. Thank you, Lord, that it looks different for everybody. That for some of us, it looks like a career in corporate world. For some of us, it looks like owning our own business. For some of us, it looks like a season of uh, being at home, raising our kids. For some of us, we've retired, but we're now spending our time investing in others. Thank you, Lord, that you never intended us to do nothing. Thank you, Lord, that you intended us to make the world better. I pray this morning, Lord, would you give us a revelation of the joy of work, that it is from you and that you are in it. I pray this morning, Lord, for those of us here this morning, there might be someone here, you sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, but I don't even know Jesus. I trust that if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus, that you're amazed that he cares about what you do. I trust that you're sitting here this morning and you realize that whatever it is you do, God gave it to you and he wants you to make the most of it. And if, that is, if that is you this morning, I'd love to pray with you afterwards and introduce you to this amazing king, Jesus. Thank you for this time, Lord. We worship you. We honor you. Amen.